Can we do that for a few more seconds unto Jesus? Amen. Can you talk to the author and the finisher of your faith for just a moment? Come on, that's all right. It doesn't even have to be loud. You can whisper his name. You can shout his name, whatever you feel. But whatever you do, do it in sincerity and in truth right now. I feel like the Lord is stirring hearts. The Lord is stirring our minds. Come on, I feel like God is tugging at the hearts of his people. Hallelujah. Come on, truly the king of glory is here visiting with us in this place. And if you feel like you haven't really felt all that you want to feel yet, then come on, before we go any further, lift your hands again. Come on. Come on, let's tap into what's in this place. Amen. We, we can receive of him as much as we want to, but, Lord, we are responding to you. We are opening the door to our heart. We are lifting our needs to you because we want more of the king of glory in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in this place as it is in heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful for the King of glory that loves us enough to visit with us in moments on a Sunday afternoon just like this. Amen. And if you still have some questions, that's all right. If you don't feel like you truly know the King of glory yet, that's all right. He wants to get to know you, and you're in the right place this morning to get to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I promise you, if you stay in this spirit of prayer, surrender and humility. God can touch you. God can heal you. God can deliver you. You can leave this place feeling lighter, feeling like some of that weight of the world is off your shoulders. You can go into your car and drive home and feel the peace of God that passes understanding. Amen. How many want more of Jesus today? Amen. Amen. I want us to turn to the book of James chapter 4 verse 7. James chapter 4 verse 7. And then Mark 8, 34 through 35. James 4 and 7, Mark 8, 34 through 35. Amen. I don't know about you, but I just, when I was sitting there right before I came up, when Sisterhood and the praise team were singing that song so wonderfully, I just, I just felt like there was this, this, this spirit, this, this attitude that was saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I, I, I just felt like there was something in the hearts of people here, not just me, that was that responding to a pull and a tug and a call of God on our hearts. I, I, I don't know why I felt that. I just felt that there are people in this house that are saying and that are willing to say, God, I want more of you. The world is getting crazier by the minute. The world's falling apart. I cannot put my faith and confidence in anything else but the kingdom and anything else but relationship with God. And I, I just feel like there's a heart out here, several hearts out here that are saying, you know what, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I tried it my way for years, and it didn't work. And I've tried to figure it out, and I still don't have all the answers. So, God, I'm going to turn to you the answer and say whatever you want to do in me and through me and to me in these last days, let it be done. Amen. Well, more time. Would you just clap your hands? I just feel Jesus in this moment. Amen. Let's read this scripture together and see where the Lord will take us today. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen. We got a lot of people thinking they have to run from the devil. You don't have to run from the devil. You just resist him with the power of the blood, the name of Jesus, and he will flee from you. 
but submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Amen. Next, next scripture, Mark 8, 34 through 35. And we will read this together. Scripture says that when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself or herself, obviously, and take up his or her cross and follow me. Whoever wants to come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. Amen. There's only one time in, in life when I want to be a loser. <laughs> and that's when, when I want to be a loser of my life for the Gospels' sake. When I want to put down my will and my life and let Jesus rule and reign in my life. And what I want to preach to us about this morning with the help of the Lord is simply this, what the world really needs. What the world really needs. Amen. One more time before you're seated, put your hands together for Jesus. Just let him know you're so thankful for what you feel. Oh, Jesus, I'm so thankful for what we feel in this house. Hallelujah. God, I pray you would help us to never take for granted what we feel. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in our hearts as it is in heaven, in Carson City as it is in heaven, and in this great church as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and glory for all that you're going to do this morning and beyond. In Jesus' name, you can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. In 1967, there was a British rock band that most people are familiar with called The Beatles. They released a hit single titled, All You Need Is Love. A man named John Lennon famously wrote the song, and these are some of the lyrics on the chorus that he penned. Quote, nothing you can make that can't be made, no one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. This song was a hit around the world, and it inspired thousands of songs to be written with the same mantra, as well as many articles and popular films and books to be created as well. And even today, it is still popular to say things like, if we just only had more love, everything would just be fine. But my question today on the outset of this sermon is this, is it true that all we really need is just more love? You see, the Beatles continued to live a life of illegal drug use, drunkenness, and promiscuity, destroying their own lives and the lives of others. And they even went on to so arrogantly and famously comment that they were bigger than Jesus. But what the Beatles failed to realize or conveniently ignored is that this Jesus spoke revolutionary ideas about love far before the Beatles' song was ever written. And in fact, Jesus had already said something very similar to what Lennon was trying to say in the song, but Jesus said it truthfully, truthfully and accurately, and he said it on the night of the Last Supper when Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to one another. Jesus 
said that we need love. And in fact, the love of God that is manifested in our hearts towards one another and back towards God himself, that is how people will know that we are his disciples, by our love for one another. So Jesus had his hit single about love far before the Beatles ever did. And we know that God is love and Jesus is God in the flesh. And so Jesus was and is the expression of divine love. He lives and breathes love. He loves each and every one of us in this room more than we could ever, ever, ever possibly imagine. And Scripture tells us in Romans 5 and 8, a paraphrase, but it says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a whole lot of love right there. And Scripture also says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Can I tell someone, when you love something, you will give to it. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting lasting life. So can I tell you that God knows all about love. He is love. He is perfect love. And he told us the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Amen. How many are thankful for the love of God that we have experienced in our own lives? How many are thankful for the love of God we feel today? How many are thankful for the love of our brothers and sisters when they show it to us? I'm thankful for what that what God provides to us in the form of his perfect love. So I am certainly not diminishing love this morning. I am only asking the pertinent question today, is it true that all we need is love? I, I understand that in a, in a dark and painful and somewhat loveless world, we certainly do need more love. That's true. We do need more love. More love for one another. We just talked about that. More love for people out on the streets, people that aren't in this building today. We need to love them and show the light of Jesus Christ to them. And, 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 and of course, if only we had a little bit more love and, and uh, some, of our, some of the political realms and government realms and societal realms, maybe things would be a little bit better. I'm not diminishing that we could always use some more love, especially when it's the love of God, amen, being transmitted through his people. I, I, I 100% am for that, amen. Man, and if you've had trouble loving people lately, and we're going to have an altar call in a minute, you can come give your burdens to God. He can lift them and make you a lover of people, make you a lover of your brothers and sisters, and make you a lover of the lost. God can do that. But, but, but I'm just coming again to say, is it, is, it, is it all we need is just love? You know, pe people say today that, well, we need more love as if the very presence of love will somehow force people to accept and obey that love. But that just isn't the case. Can I remind someone that, that, that perfect love has lived on the earth once before? His name was Jesus Christ. You say, all, all you need is love. Well, love showed up. And so everyone celebrated, right? They, they provided a red carpet for him, right? Everyone embraced love, and the whole world just became perfect overnight, right? Wrong. Just because there is a presence of love does not mean, amen, that automatically people will accept and obey that love. And so when perfect love was on the earth, instead of being celebrated, he was crucified. So is it true that all we need is love? You know, what the world needs by that in many cases is that they actually want more tolerance. But as one man named C.S. Lewis said, tolerance is just a parody of love. And now what people want is a one-directional tolerance. 
Thus, it is no longer tolerance at all. For true tolerance is a bridge that must go both directions. So now, therefore, it's not even tolerance the world wants from you. It is complicity. It is agreement. So can I tell you, despite what many people say, what the world is wanting in many cases is actually not even more love and not even more tolerance. It's complicity. It's getting you to agree with whatever their opinion or perspective or sin is. But for those good-hearted people out there that really do want more love, can I tell someone that we don't just need more love? Can I preach to someone today that while we need more love, what we also need and what the world really needs is more humility. What the world really needs is repentance. What the world really needs is repentance. You know what the world needs the most? I've come to tell you already right now. What the world really needs is surrender. What the world really needs is a spirit of surrender. Surrender. Otherwise, the presence of love will do us no good. If we don't have a spirit of surrender, amen, then we will crucify love just as they crucified Christ. If we don't have a spirit of humility and repentance and surrender, then perfect love can show up all day long. But if we don't surrender to it, if we don't surrender to what he says we need to do, if we don't surrender to what his love requires from us and what his love is telling us to do and to be, then we will not be changed at all. Yes, we need more love, but what the world really needs is surrender to that love. Surrender to the perfect love named Jesus Christ who wants to change the world and change the church and turn our hearts to where they need to be and turn everything upside down for his glory. But it's not going to happen until we are willing to surrender over everything to God, everything about our lives, everything about our hearts, everything everything about our minds and our time, what the world and what the church really needs is total and complete to surrender to the rule and reign of King Jesus Christ. I know this is a Sunday, this is a little bit different today, but this is just what I felt, amen, and I felt it was the time to preach it, because as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the Lord has been knocking on our hearts, amen. I'm not talking about knocking on the hearts of, of bad people or, or, or just, just, you know, that we're all just living in some deep sin, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about good people with good hearts and good motives, and you love Jesus, and you've been coming to church, amen, but you've been feeling a stirring in your spirit. I don't know about you, but I, I, I and I know there's been a lot of work put put into the church and your own prayer lives and so much growth and your pastor, pastor's wife and so many people, the leaders of this church, you all have been pouring into each other far before I ever got here. But can I just tell you what I feel, amen, since I've been here, is that there is a stirring of the pot, so to speak. There is a stirring of our hearts. We're thankful for what we've felt. We're thankful for what we've experienced. We're thankful for the three people or so that received the Holy Ghost so far. We're thankful for the people that have pledged to be baptized and will be soon. And we're thankful for every word that we've received and every bit of our hearts that have been changed. We're thankful for what he's done, but there's a stirring in us that says, I am not satisfied here. 
God, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just letting you know I want more of you. I've got a divine discontent. I've got a divine dissatisfaction. I, I've, I've, I've been the same for a while, and I, I've just kind of gone through the motions for a while. It's been all right, and it's been good, and there's no problems. But, Lord, there's something stirring in me that says he wants more from me, and he wants me to do more. God, there's something stirring in me that says I want to go deeper in you, and I want to serve in greater ways in your kingdom. There's something stirring in our hearts that says, you know what, maybe I haven't been as faithful as I could be, and I want to be more faithful. There's something stirring in our hearts that says, you know what, I don't want to just be an observer, but I want to be a participator. I want to be a part of the church. I, I want to marry the church. I want to use my gifts and my talents, my skills and my abilities to serve the kingdom of God through Apostolic Revival Center. There's a stirring in our hearts that is saying, God, I'm willing to surrender everything over to you. Does anybody in this house feel that stirring in them? Has anybody felt that over the past few months? Has anybody felt that over the past few weeks? Has anybody felt that in service this morning? Is anybody being stirred in their heart to go deeper in God? Hallelujah. What the world and what the church truly needs are people who are willing to surrender completely to the Savior. I don't have a fancy message with a lot of gravy today. I've just got simple meat and potatoes and cornbread sermon for you. What we really need are hearts of men and women who are willing to surrender everything over to the Savior. The world needs people who are willing to relinquish their, their, some of their, their rights to him. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, sometimes we talked about another, uh, a few services ago, and I'm kind of mentioning it again, but we need people who are willing to say, you know what, I may, by the world's standards, I may have a right to be angry. I may have a right to be bitter. I may have a right to be jealous. I may have a right to be envious by the world standards. You know, some things that I never asked for really happened to me, and some bad things were really done to me. And, and so by the world standards, may, maybe there's some rights. And, and so you kind of live by the world standards, and you just kind of stayed there. And Well, well, well who, who, who says I can't be this way? They talked about me. They stabbed me in the back. So I have a right to keep my guard up, and I have a right to have all my defenses up, and I, I have a right to be this way, and I have a right to act this way. But the world needs some people that are willing, even if you really did have have those rights, people that are willing to surrender their rights to God, to say, you know what, maybe I could stay bitter, maybe I could stay upset, maybe I could stay hurt, but you know what, Jesus, you forgave me of everything, so who am I to withhold forgiveness to someone else? Jesus, you've forgiven me of the deepest and darkest sins, who am I to stay where I am and keep myself frustrated, keep myself bitter, and keep myself living less than my true potential? Lord, here are all my rights that I am surrendering to you. I mentioned this a few services ago, but I feel like it's still worth repeating. Amen. It's in the book of Philippians. Amen. I'm going to find it here. I didn't have it in my notes. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And I've just got kind of a paraphrase here before me. I've mentioned this before. But you read in Philippians chapter 2, I believe it's about uh, verses 5 through 11. And what it's saying, Paul is telling us about Christian unity and how we need to go deeper in God. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 2 that we should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. And it says, and then it explains who Christ Jesus was and the attitude that he had. 
Paul is connecting the attitude and the perspective that we should have with who Jesus was and the perspective he had in Philippians 2. And that's why Paul goes and explains. He says, Christ, he existed in the form of God, did not, uh, did not consider himself equal. And, of course, we're talking about the flesh and the divine uh, paradigm here. And, and it goes on. It says that he emptied himself. And, and uh, uh, he, he did not basically, when it, what it says that he, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped is the way that one translation puts it. What it means is he had every right, amen, to take himself off the cross and call legions of angels because he had that divine power. He had every right to, to get back at the people that hurt him and spit on him. He had every right, amen, to, to instead of live in the humanity, to live in the divinity and to thunder down judgment and to do all these different things. But but no, he, he, he put that part aside in order to live life as a human being so he could die for our sins. And the scripture continues that he took upon the form of a slave, of a bondservant, amen, completely sharing in human nature. And he humbled himself, amen, by becoming obedient to the point of death even on a cross, amen. Do you see what the scripture is saying here? That we are to be just like Christ was. Christ who had all these rights because he was God in flesh. He could do anything he wants. He could just snap his fingers and make things happen. But he surrendered, he surrendered some of his power and he limited some of his power and surrendered what he could have done in order to save the world. How much more should we surrender some things, even if we have a right to? Oh, help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't have a right to all the things that I think I do. You know what I have a right to do? I have a right to love. I have a right to forgive. I have a right to share. I have a right to care. I have... Somebody praise him right now. Hallelujah. What we really need are people willing to completely and totally surrender everything over to God. If he gave up everything to save us, and, I, and I'm preaching to myself that sometimes I can get so bothered by things and so frustrated by things, and, and I'll let it keep me apathetic and indifferent. And, you know, this happened and that happened. Man, I'm not going to go out there and tell someone about Jesus, and I'm not going to go love that person, and I'm not going to go, go do this or that. Amen. But when my mind goes to scriptures like this, and when I remember all that Christ has done for me, it helps me to realize who am I to say that, Lord, I will not go and do what you want me to do. Who am I to to say that, that I will not go into the world and reach people like you want me to? Who am I to say that I will not be a worker in the kingdom the way you want me to? Who am I to resist what you are calling me to do? Who am I to resist your presence in prayer? Who am I to turn my ear aside from your voice? Who am I, Lord? Not my will, but thy will be done. You saved me from everything. You brought me out of darkness into your marvelous light, so I am completely yours. Because love will do us no good if we are not willing to obey it, if we are not willing to bear the responsibility of it, and if we are not willing to repent when we violate it. Love is only the answer when you and I are willing to surrender and live our life in obedience to that perfect love. You know, God, God shared something with me several months ago. I, I, it's just kind of like a sentence or two that popped into my mind. And... Um, it was basically this, you know, the biggest problem that humans face is not sin. You know, we think it's sin, but we forget that, of course, Jesus died for sin. Sin is not hard for him to take care of. Even deep and dark things, someone that's willing to repent and get baptized in Jesus' name, my goodness, his blood, that's what his blood was for. He covers it, he forgives it, he washes it all away. 
Jesus died for sin. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about sin. It doesn't mean he plays games with sin. No, it's just that he paid the price to cover us, cover our sins, if we're willing to obey his gospel and surrender to him. So the biggest problem we face is not sin, but what the Lord spoke to me is that the biggest problem we face is the justification of sin. That's why the Bible says that he resists the proud. Amen. It's, it's, it's not when people sin that God can't, can't do much. It's when people justify their sin and double down on it. God is a gentleman. He respects our free will. He is not going to force himself on us. And that is the key difference, for example, between King Saul and David. When Saul was often confronted with his sin, he would often try to double down on it and say, no, 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 I was really doing this for you, Lord, and I was doing this for you, prophet. And, you know, I just thought it would be better if we did it this way. I wasn't sinning instead of admitting that he had violated what God had told him to do. And then you contrast that with David, and David was far from perfect. Amen. But in that moment when the prophet Nathan came and confronted him about his sin regarding Bathsheba and Uriah, amen, David confessed. He said, I am that man. I am the one that's messed up in the situation. I'm the murderer. I'm the adulterer here. I'm responsible. He did not try to justify it, but he repented and fasted. And I believe that's a large part of why he was considered later on to be a man after God's own heart heart. Amen. The biggest problem we face is not sin. It's the justification of it. So we need people that are willing to completely surrender and not try to justify it and say, God, I admit I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I'm far from perfect. I'm nothing without you. I'm not going to try to justify what I'm doing. I'm going to turn to you and ask you for help. This is why in John chapter 9 verses 40 through 41, Amen. I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but basically the synopsis is, 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 is Jesus was letting them know that the, the, the problem with the Pharisees was not their blindness. It, that wasn't just the problem. He, he called them blind guides, but he was saying that's not just the problem. He said the problem with the Pharisees is claiming you aren't blind instead of just admitting it. You read it in John 9, 40-41. You'll see it for yourself. He understands that sometimes people get blind and sometimes we miss things. The problem is claiming that we can see even though we are blind. Amen. And yet the response of so many people today, and sadly even some inside the church, is, but preacher, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to give up all of my heart. I don't want to give up all of my mind. I don't want to live life with an open palm where the Lord can give and take away and use me for his glory. I don't want to live that way. And there are millions of people both in the church and out of the church who are living in dysfunction and destruction all because of their refusal to completely surrender their lives to God. And I've just come to tell someone, someone who loves God, I believe, and a, a lover of God, a lover of his word, a lover of his presence, amen, but there's more that God wants to give you. And I don't know who you are, even if I'm talking to two or three people, that's fine, but God's been seeking after you, he's been chasing after you, he's been talking to you, he's been convicting you, he's been knocking at the door of your heart saying, there's more, when will you give that thing to me? When will you trust me with that? When will you release that to me? Amen. When will you surrender that to me? Amen. What the world really needs is surrender. Surrender. Amen. You know, in Daniel chapter 4, we read of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says he actually lost his mind. He lost his mind spending his life trying to do things his own way, trying to do things the way he wanted to do instead of what God and God's people was suggesting that he should do. And so he literally lost his mind and became as a raving beast. You say, why? This is why. 
because people are not free to break God's moral laws. God's laws, when violated, break people. People are not as free as they think they are to break all of God's laws and commandments, but God's laws, when violated, break people. But God's laws, when obeyed, build people. God's laws, when surrendered to, transform people and change people. Hallelujah. I know this is different. I know this is simple today. I know some of this may even be a little bit uncomfortable. But could it be because maybe God in his love has some of the tools out and he's wanting to work on us and perform surgery on us and say, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, I love you, but you know there's more I'm calling you to do. There's more I'm asking you to do. There's more that I want from you. There's more potential that is left untapped in you. There's more goodness that you have covered up with layers of hurt and layers of exhaustion, layers of pain and layers of of bitterness and Jesus is trying to peel back those layers and saying if you would just trust me with all of that I can take you where you need to go what we need are people that are willing to get on their knees and say Jesus take all of me take everything every loss and every win every flaw and imperfection God here it is I'm putting it in your hands hallelujah hallelujah what the world needs is surrender. Amen. You know, Adolf Hitler once said, he said, I want to raise a generation of young people who are devoid of a conscience, who are imperious, relentless, and cruel. That is the enemy's motive. That is a satanic desire to get us to a place where we're so hardened and and, and pervy, just, just unable to be reached by the love and the hand of God. And in Germany, sadly, for a generation, for a lot of people, Adolf Hitler accomplished that. And Hitler wanted to make hearts hard, completely impervious to surrender. But we as Christians have the opposite task, to make hearts soft and willing to surrender. I cannot effectively get others to come and surrender their hearts to God if there are things in me that I have yet to surrender to him. Amen. And in this world where there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of things to get bitter and upset about, there's a lot of reasons to be upset. There's people out there, they're losing their jobs, they're losing everything. There's, there's government pressures and tyranny and sickness and all this different stuff going on. And it can make a heart really hard. If, you know, with someone that doesn't have Jesus Christ, I can totally see, I can understand where their hearts would get hard. Amen. But we need people of God, just like us sitting in this place, to go to them and sit with them in their pain and say, I know you're going through it. I know you've lost things. I, I know there's all hell breaking loose. But listen, don't let your heart grow hard. The Bible says in the last days, the love of many shall wax cold. Amen. That We cannot be of that number. We cannot let our love for others and for God wax cold. And we have to go out there and help other people. People whose hearts are hardening, whose love begins to wax cold. They're beginning to get indifferent. They're beginning to get uncaring. They're beginning to become like a robot and a machinistic. But we need to go to them and say, no, let, listen, let me show you how to keep your heart soft. Let me show you how to stay in a state of vulnerability and surrender. Let me show you my Lord Jesus Christ who can help you see things correctly, who will love you and help you get through this situation. What the world really needs is surrender. 
And some people, and I've been guilty of this before too, we're all human here, but some people when God is asking them to surrender and God's trying to show us that we have a responsibility to do whatever it is he's calling us to do, sometimes we'll make accusations of others to absolve ourselves of responsibility to absolve ourselves of our need to surrender. And we start getting uncomfortable, and we start feeling maybe we should change. And because it's uncomfortable, we don't want to. We start pointing fingers at other people, and we start focusing on their problems, and we start focusing on all the ways that they need to change. And you know what? Maybe they really do need to change, but, but we first have got to take that finger and point at ourselves. We first got to get those logs out of our own eye before we help other people with the specks in theirs. Amen. Whenever God starts dealing with me, I don't want to point my finger at someone else. I want to say, thank you, God. Yes, speak to me. Help me. Change me. Transform me. I will do what you ask me to do. I will obey your word. I am yours and yours completely. Amen. Some of us say, I'm, I'm closer to being done. You might think I'm coming to a close, but some of us might say, but preacher, I have surrendered. And if that's the case, praise God. I rejoice with you. I'm so thankful. Some of us truly have had powerful moments of surrender. Even lately, I've watched as the people of God have prayed and you've responded to the word of God and you've submitted yourself to the presence of God. I've watched of young people in the youth rally here and in Chico. Amen. You had powerful moments of surrender to the presence of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being willing to surrender. Amen. And give everything over to him. Amen. Some of us have had powerful moments of surrender. And when you first received the Holy Ghost, it was in a moment of surrender. Amen? How many remember the day you received the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance? When you were baptized in Jesus' name, it's because you made the decision to put your will aside and to obey his gospel. How many remember that moment of surrender when you went down in water in Jesus' name? But for some of us, after having those moments, those beautiful moments of surrender where God turned our life around and changed everything, some of us went back behind our walls, back behind our ways, back behind our plans, and some of us have since lived an unsurrendered life to God. And I want us to remember those moments of surrender. I want us to remember how much peace we felt in those moments of surrender, how wonderful it was, how liberating it was. Then I want you to imagine how wonderful a life surrender would be where it's not just one moment 10 years ago or one moment five years ago or two moments six months ago but instead it's a daily life of Lord how can I best live for you how can I best please you what do you want me and what are you calling me to do amen less of me and more of you I know this is simple and I know I'm preaching to people some of you you've lived for God longer than I've been alive so please know I come before this pulpit preaching in humility today just asking just wondering is there anything that God's been speaking to you anything that God's been speaking to us about about how we can go deeper and do more and surrender all of ourselves to him hey man I heard a story recently I want the musician to come heard a story recently there's a group called doctors without borders and many of you maybe have heard about them. They're an incredible group of men and women who are professional, uh, uh, medical professionals, doctors. And they go around the world in places where there are no hospitals and there are no clinics. And they do their best to give treatment and life-saving treatments to people who otherwise would have no access to medical care. They go into third world and fourth world countries. They go into war-torn areas. And uh, they risk their lives, their comfort, and their safety to reach people with their medicine and their skills. 
And I heard the story, one story that, that was told a few years back. They were in a, a place, I can't remember the country, but there was a woman that came up to their encampment, and she was screaming in pain. And she had a, a pain in her mouth. They were able to quickly diagnose that she had some kind of abscess, some kind of um, infection in her mouth due to something going on with her teeth, something rotten, and I don't know all the medical terms, but it was uh, something very painful that was going on in her mouth. And so they knew that in order to look deeper and figure out what was going on and solve the problem, they would have to give her something for her pain because she was moving and writhing and screaming. They couldn't accurately look into her mouth. And so they took the needle. They gave her a shot of some kind of pain reliever. And within a few seconds or minutes, she started to calm down. And she looked around. A smile came on her face. She thought she was cured. She started to get off the table that they had her on, and they said, no, 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 we need to look at you. We need to examine you. We need to work on you, and she didn't understand. There was a language barrier. She didn't get it. She just smiled and kept patting them on the back, and then she started to walk away, and they tried to pull her back and say, no, no, come back. There's something wrong in your mouth. We can tell there's an infection. She didn't understand. She started to walk and then run away with joy and happiness, thinking that she was completely cured despite the best efforts of the doctors to explain what was really going on. And they found out a few days later that, unfortunately, this woman had passed away. And this story is convicting on multiple levels, but, but it convicted me in this way. I have to ask myself, Lord, do we sometimes just live on shots in Pentecost? Do, do, do we sometimes just come and get the needle and some of the pain is taking away, amen, and then we go on our way, but the great physician is looking down on us saying, no, I, I, I need to go deeper. I need to perform an operation because I love you because there's a bigger problem. I need to work out that root instead of just the fruit. I need to go to, to the cause instead of just the symptom, amen, but we get some goosebumps and, and we feel good and we, we feel some of what we need to feel, so then we go on our way and we live on shots and Pentecost instead of truly living by faith. And I've got a question for someone, including myself today. Will you allow the physician to go deeper? Yes, yes, I'm thankful that he gives us shots for our pain. But will you allow him to perform surgery on your heart as well? Will you allow him to go even deeper into your heart and into your mind as well? I don't want to just get a shot and go on my way. I don't want to just get a shot on Sunday and feel good and then go on my way. No, I want to say, God, what can I do for your kingdom? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to change? in me but the only way we can get there is if we understand Lord I've got to surrender to you I've got to trust you I've got to surrender to that spiritual surgery I've got to surrender to whatever you're wanting to do in me what we really need is surrender surrender no longer a faith where we just go weekend to weekend or no longer a faith where we just go midweek to midweek but where we invite him into every part of our day where we go deeper in every part of our day, when we become the light and love of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, Jesus, the physician, is wanting to go deeper. So for some of us, I just would ask, when's the last time that, that you wept at an altar? For some of us, it was last week. For some of us, it was Friday night. For others, maybe it was yesterday at the altar you made near your bedside before you went to sleep. But for others, for some of us, it has been months and months and months since we've surrendered our heart to the Lord and wept at an altar. When is the last time we laid before him burdened, burdened from him, burdened to do something for him in his kingdom? When's the last time that we prayed with abandon in church and just let his love overwhelm us? When is the last time that we have just completely surrendered everything to him? 
For some of us, again, it was maybe last night, maybe last week, but for some of us, it's been too long, and Jesus is wanting to take us deeper. Amen. As I conclude today, oh, hallelujah. Before I go any further, let's just pray. Let's just pray. I really feel like the Lord is talking to someone. Whether that's to stay, whether that's to go, whether it's to do this or do that, God, God is talking to someone right now. There's been something you've been afraid to let go of, and God is saying, you don't have to fear. Trust me. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. In Jesus' name. There's some of us that have been trusting in horses and chariots instead of trusting in the Lord. We've been trusting in our own efforts, and we're exhausted. We've been striving, and we're exhausted. And God is asking us, when will you surrender? When will you put all that down and trust in me completely? When will you give me the reins and give me the keys and let me do what only I can do instead of exhausting yourself trying to do it on your own? In the Olympic Games of Barcelona, in 1992, and I'm concluding, why don't we stand all over this house if you're physically able. In the Olympic Games of Barcelona 1992, there was a British runner named Derek Redmond. He was a fabulous runner, an up-and-coming star, and he was fully expected to win the 400-meter run that he was participating in. They came to the finals. The gun was sounded, and now Derek is running towards the 400-meter mark. All of a sudden, at the 125-meter mark, Derek stops, and he grabs his leg. His face grimaces in pain because he has pulled his hamstring. He falls now. He struggles to get up in the middle of this important Olympic run. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, there starts to be a man who's running down the bleachers, running down the crowd, through the crowd. And the security officers are trying to get to him and stop him, not knowing what he's going to do. But all this man had to do was say three words. I'm his father. And they left him alone. And Derek's father kept running down those bleachers through the crowd, pushing everyone aside. He now comes onto the Olympic racetrack. Not everyone knows who he is, so he still keeps shouting in front of thousands of people and millions around the world watching on television. He keeps shouting, that's my son, that's my son. The father comes now besides Derek who is barely hobbling along, sobbing and crying, trying to finish the race but is in so much pain. And the father puts his arm around Derek and lifts him up. All of this is happening on national television, the whole world watching. Derek responds, puts his arm around his dad's shoulder, and there he is now on the camera, leaning against the shoulder of his dad, hobbling, crying, but slowly moving towards the finish line. Listen, I don't know who officially won that day in that race in 1992, but I do know who the real winners were that day. And it was Derek and his father. It was a young man who had, who had slipped, a young man who was in pain, a young man who saw his life and future flashing before him, but who was willing to surrender to the love of his father, to lean on his father, and to admit, I cannot finish this race, and I cannot do this without the help of my father. Can I preach to someone, life will disappoint you, and life will let you down sometimes. But God will be there to hold you, and God will 
will be there to walk with you when your hamstring has failed you, when your plans and your goals have been torn apart. God will be there to carry you, but it is up to us to surrender to him. It is up to us to take his arm and lean our head on his shoulder and admit that I cannot run this race without you. God, I cannot do this without you, and I will not try any longer. And when you and I are willing to admit that, uh, when you and I are willing to completely surrender everything uh, and admit that we can't do this on our own and stop trying to do it with our own ability, that is when Jesus can come and lift us up uh, and walk with us uh, and guarantee that we will finish this race. Somebody praise him if you're thankful for the love of our Father today. If you're thankful for the love of Jesus Christ, the Father manifests in the flesh. If there's anybody here that's willing to surrender to him and get on your knees and say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. God, I'm tired of trying to carry this pain by myself, and I'm tired of trying to fix my broken pieces by myself. I'm tired of doing it my own way. God, the only path forward and upward is less of me and more of you. I must decrease in order that he would increase in my life. I must be willing to do whatever he tells me. I must be willing to go wherever he calls me. I must be willing, even if he calls me as the only light in the darkest of places, Lord, I will trust you. I will go where you tell me to go. I will do what you tell me to do. I will forgive who you tell me to forgive. I will love who you've put before me to love. I will completely surrender my ways, my will, my plans over to you. If there's anybody that feels that way today, would you lift your hands all over this house as this preacher's done preaching? Would you cry out to him? Would you call out to him? Come on, I know some of this may be different or unexpected, but I do believe the Lord's trying to talk to us. Come on, if you're a visitor here today, the Lord's trying to talk to you and tell you that he wants to give you a better life if you'd be willing to surrender to him. And there's a saint that he's trying to talk to you today and say, hey, saint of God, I've got more and better. I've got great things in store for you if you'd be willing to let that guard down and let some of those layers fall and let me do what only I can do. In the name of Jesus, come on, church, are we willing to surrender? Are we willing to step into the harvest God has for us? Are we willing to step into the revival God has for us? Or are we willing to go to the depths, into the places that God is calling us to? Come on, is there anybody that feels that way? Is there anybody whose heart stirred? Is there anybody that says, God, whatever you do before you come back, you might not come back in five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know. But until then, God, I'm going to live a life of surrender to you. Come on, let's keep on praying. Let's lift our voice, lift our hands. I'm done preaching. These altars are open. If you're a saint of God and God spoke to you, I want to invite you to come. If you're a visitor here and you've never received the Holy Ghost yet, if you would come and surrender and repent, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost today. Maybe you're someone that you've kind of been straddling the fence a little bit and, and you've been living that shot life where it's just been shot to shot. Amen. But the physician needs to go deeper in your life today. Will you let him go deeper? Come on, let's come. Let's come and surrender to him. There's a God who loves you infinitely, who wants to help you and change you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless of me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, I surrender all to you. Everything. 
everything, everything. Here I am, Lord. I'm not going to withhold anything from you, Lord. Come on, is there anybody that wants to make that plan or that commitment? Come on, I know it might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but God's calling you to more. God's calling you to deeper. That's it. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Come on. If you see somebody near you that God's really touching, feel free to go pray with them. Amen. Let's bind together and respond to what the Lord has spoken.
回头。